Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the Fugazi catalog, from Fuga A to Fugazi. I'm your host, Ian James Wright. Um, joining me today to discuss the song Argument from the 2001 album, The Argument, uh, is a person who's overqualified on at least two fronts to talk Fugazi. So first, as a musician, uh, most notably of the great Washington, D.C. band uh, and Fugazi's Discord label mates, Q and Not You, and second, in his current role as the Washington Post's pop music critic. Welcome to the show, Chris Richards. Hi, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks a lot. So, Chris, I think it's entirely possible that uh, the audience for this podcast might know you better as Q and Not You, Chris Richards, than as Washington Post Chris Richards, but I'd just like to say to anyone who's unaware that um, you're a writer who's definitely worth following, I'd say, because, you know, not only is your knowledge of music both deep and broad, but also because you don't shy away from sometimes taking some contrary and principled stances in your writing, uh, not to put too <laughs> fine a point on why you're an appropriate guest for today's song. Um, and, of course, that makes for interesting and thought-provoking reading. You know, if you don't do that, what's the point, I figure? Well, thank you. Um, thank I, you very much. I, I, I would like to ask, like, right off the top, one of those contrary stances just a few months ago, you kind of uh, wrote about that you had, uh, basically, you have anti- antipathy toward most podcasts. Um, so I was a little bit surprised you were willing to participate on this one. Uh, do, you, do, do you want to expand on that? Like, we're, in, we're still in early days. I'm willing to take notes if you want to uh, say what you'd like to hear. My love of Fugazi transcends uh, all arguments, I think. But um, yeah, I wrote a piece kind of against podcasts a few months ago. You know, it's obviously this form that's developing. It's a really interesting container for information and for sharing things that people feel are, are very near and dear to them. Um, and I'm all for that. But I think as a listening experience, they have a very, very long way to go. And I think there's so much more experimentation that could take place in podcasting. And the piece was absolutely argumentative. And um, I definitely had my porcupine quills all the way out. But it kind of just came from the experience of, of, of wanting to have a really – considered audio experience so more than anything it's just kind of like if podcasting is going to be this you know new format that we make a permanent fixture in our cultural lives i think as listeners we have a lot more to demand from it and that's the same kind of idea that i take to my music criticism as well i mean listening is so incredibly important and uh, it's such a powerful way to, to communicate so much of our humanity. So as listeners, I think we should demand the best, whether it's music or podcasting or, or anything that we're going to spend our intimate listening hours with should be absolutely worthy of, of that attention. So that's where I'm coming from. And that's why I'm not a podcaster, because I know that the, the way that I speak, I mean, you're hearing it right now. <laughs> you know, I'm, I don't feel personally like I, I can express myself as well sonically speaking as i can on the page so that's where i'm at with it personally but i'm I'm happy very happy to be here because fugazi as i said literally i mean they are a transcending force in my life i mean their music is almost a religious uh sort of thing for me having grown up with it which we'll get into but um i'm very happy to be here and i appreciate the invite for sure yeah that sounds like a great place to start before we just jump into the song at hand Uh, can you tell me just a little bit about your relationship with Fugazi. Do you remember when you first heard of them or saw them or anything like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, all these things are so formative for me. Um, I grew up in Maryland, and a girl moved to my town in ninth grade, and she had, like, Sonic Youth t-shirts and, you know, uh, bikini kill patches on her jacket. I didn't know what any of these things were, and she got me hooked up into all kinds of incredible music, and one of the first tapes she gave me was Fugazi Study Diet of Nothing. And, um... Uh... 
And I was just amazed that this band was so good. And the fact that they lived 45 minutes down the road was really exciting to me. And then we ended up going to see them play. And uh, obviously, anybody who got a chance to see them live knows that they were just an incredible, incredible experience to, to uh, an incredible energy kind of just blasting off that stage. And to this day, there's nothing like it. I have yet to see something that quite matches the intensity of that. Um, so I was really hooked and on board. And then as time went on, I began playing in punk bands in the DC scene. I moved to DC proper to go to college. Q and not you formed while I was going to school at the George Washington university. And, um, by then, you know, it started to feel more and more like a community. Community is kind of like a substitute word I think a lot of us use to describe, you know, the gathering of the souls in the nightlife, if you will. But in the DC punk scene, it really uh, lives up to its dictionary definition. The, the all-ages scene actually, you know, it works both ways. It's not just that teenagers can get into the venue to see the band. It's that older people who have been involved in it for years and years and years continue to show up and participate. And there's just this incredible continuity. And Fugazi was always at the center of it, even though they've been, you know, pretty much inactive for so long now, almost two decades, right? They're still kind of this binding force in, in the musical community here. And um, they've absolutely been formative to, to, to the way I listen to music and to the way I live my life, honestly, which I know sounds kind of like hyperbolic, but I'm very happy to say is, is very true. I mean, I know in Q and Not You, you guys did a little bit of the sort of uh, dual frontman thing uh, Fugazi is known for. Um, do, do you think there was any direct relationship there or influence? Oh, 100%. I mean, they were a massive, massive, massive influence on everything we were doing. Um, and it wasn't just us. I think a lot of bands in the scene were kind of coming from that as well. They were abs- they were just a force in our scene and kind of like this uh, sort of map that you could follow. So from the way that they handled their politics to the way that the lyrics were somewhat oblique to the guitar tones, I mean, we were really in the thrall of them. And of course, we were trying to find our own humanity and, and who we were, you know, through the sort of template that they were providing. But I mean, going back and listening to especially our early records, Man, we were really. <laughs> I mean, you could might you add, you know definitely a huge huge influence, and I don't think it's 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 any any um anything to hide. I guess at the time, or actually in hindsight, looking back at it now too, I think about the word influence a lot in music, and a word that I sometimes prefer, and I would be grateful if anybody applied it to Q and not you and Fugazi is is inheritance. I think like right. it's really cool to think about musical communities as traditions that get passed down, and. Anybody who accused us of being a Fugazi ripoff band when we first came out, that's fine. And anybody can say what they want about music. Of course, I'm, I'm all for that. But I do think it helps to frame it, to think of it as a tradition being passed along. Um, that's how we thought about it. And I, thought, and I hope that bands that took cues from us felt the same way. I myself, I've been in a few um, little amateur bands, you know, nothing noteworthy, but I, I, there are these little things I took from Fugazi. I don't think I was ever in a band that sounded like them. But, you know, when I wrote liner notes for a little record I was putting out, I would list the band members alphabetically by last name. And mm-hmm. instead of like a lengthy list of thank you and things, I would just I would just put thanks. And like just right, taking right, that directly sure. from Fugazi because I loved the aesthetic of that. They were so decisive about so many things, and there were so many things to notice about how they conducted themselves that it was very, very easy to adopt what they were doing as, as a template. And for our band, it was great a great launching pad. I don't think we sounded much like Fugazi at all by the end of Q and Not You, but I think the fact that we sort of went so far afield from where we started was also true to the sort of exploratory spirit of that band as well. So, yeah. 
I guess that segues perfectly into the song we're discussing today. It's the first song that we're discussing uh, in this, uh, this this sequence of this podcast that is from the album The Argument. Um, it's also the it's as it turns out the most played song from the album in Fugazi's uh, live career um, about sixty six times according to some incomplete data that we have might be a few more than that and uh, yeah it's it's contextually it's the final song on Fugazi's final album. Do you have anything you you wanted to say about the album as a whole and how you feel about it as Fugazi's sort of send off? Yeah, listening to the argument today, it's actually the album that I feel is sort of the most articulate, the most complete, the most thorough from tip to tail of any Fugazi album. Um, And in fact, when people have never heard of them before and they say, which one is the best? I don't know if it's my personal favorite, but I do say this might be the one that you think is the best. Or people who have never heard them before say, oh man, the argument, it's amazing. I think for a lot of people who grew up with Fugazi, for the whole ride, or at least half the ride, you have this really powerful nostalgia or sort of nostalgic connection to the record you heard first, or the record you heard second, or the record you first saw performed live, or whatever. Um, so for that to be the case with Argument fans, they'd have to have gotten into the band like at the very 11th hour of their existence, so to speak. Um, but listening to it now, I mean, God, it sounds so accomplished and so thoughtful, and uh, it's such a sensitive recording. I think all of their strengths are really at the fore with it. And I know this just sounds like I'm kind of like hyperbolically rambling, but it's just so impressive to, to hear a band go out like that. You know what I mean? To sort of have maybe reached a summit that they've been scaling for their entire career. And there's always been this sort of experimental energy to Fugazi albums that I really love. And I love when things kind of go wayward and sort of off the rails. I thought End Hits was an amazing album that way because it doesn't really obey the sort of previous trajectories or patterns that people had come to expect in their music. Something about the argument is so cool to me because it feels so different, but so much, I don't know, part of a bigger continuity of the band's entire sort of trip, you know? Um, and, I, and I think it's, I think it's really astounding and argument is the final song. I mean, it's so preposterously poetic. It's crazy. And we'll talk more about it, I'm sure. But as an album on the whole, yeah, it just sounds so complete to me. Yeah, that that is interesting. As far as a recommendation, it I guess it depends who you're talking to. I was thinking about that myself. I guess I guess you would say it's the most indie rock sounding record in, in the as far as most people use that term. I I guess I would say like if somebody's favorite band was like I don't know Death Cab for Cutie, I would be like yeah, listen to the argument first if if you're looking for a recommendation, right? Um, it's that it's it has a certain probably mass appeal. I mean that's definitely the wrong word, but but a certain yeah. Uh, maybe polish um, this a certain beauty and grace maybe that uh, they hadn't yet accomplished. Um, they certainly were doing new things like those multiple percussion tracks and uh, like strings, um, some like female backing vocals, really interesting stuff going on. Yeah, the attention uh, to detail on it is really what is astounding to me uh, in, in hindsight for sure. Well, uh, let's talk about some of the lyrics to this song, um, I dare say you would agree with me that this is one of the most prescient songs I can think of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, freakishly so. Are you saying in the sense that it was recorded before 9-11 and then released after 9-11? Yeah, I, so let me establish like a brief timeline of events for people who uh, maybe don't quite remember things so clearly. So, of course, the September 11th attacks were 2001, and 
we should note, followed by immediate like saber rattling rhetoric. I think we all remember the political cartoon of the bald eagle sharpening its talons and like let's roll and stuff like that. But this album came out the next month, October 16th, 2001. Next October of, of 2002, uh, Congress passed the Authorization for Use of Military Force Against Iraq Resolution of 2002, including this language, let me just quote briefly, uh, whereas Iraq both poses a continuing threat to the national security of the United States and international peace and security in the Persian Gulf region and remains in material and unacceptable breach of its international obligations by, among other things, continuing to possess and develop a significant chemical and biological weapons capability, uh, which we we know in, in popular uh, parlance as WMDs, Weapons of Mass Destruction, uh, continuing the quote, actively seeking a nuclear weapons capability and supporting and harboring terrorist organizations. So that was that resolution passed October of 2002. And then that following March, uh, March 19th, 2003, the Iraq war begins with the quote, shock and awe bombing campaign by the US and uh, the coalition nations, UK and others. Uh, And then the next year in 2004, the 9-11 commission found, uh, quote, Uh, found no, quote, evidence indicating that Iraq cooperated with al-Qaeda in developing or carrying out any attacks against the United States. And, you know, the final capstone is no stockpiles of WMDs or an active WMD program were ever found in Iraq by any inspectors. So that's the basics of the situation. Uh, And this song that came out before all the craziness went down in our response to, you know, what we perceived as you know, whatever this threat was uh, by Iraq mistakenly being conflated with the 9-11 attacks. Um, This song really addresses Ian Mackay's and Fugazi's issue with the way we responded to that and the way we we respond in general. Um, That was a lot of rambling. Anything to say on that? No, no. I mean, so much of this band's politics, I think, were also forged during the first, you know, uh, wars in the Gulf, you know, in the early 90s. So, you know, but I think that obviously the American way is a way of perpetual warfare. You know, the the defense contractors need to keep making money. So on one hand, you can say, oh, my gosh, these guys really predicted the future with their song. When in actuality, they were kind of observing the perpetuation of this incredibly ugly American pursuit, which is nonstop warfare and the, the money that can be gained from it and made from it. Um, the thing that I love about Fugazi's music writ large, and this song is a part of it, is that it really identified the problems. And I think when you encounter punk rock, or for many people when they first encounter punk rock as an adolescent, you're going through a lot of soul searching and trying to find out who you are as a person. There's a lot of forging of identity happening. And I remember being an angry teenager and feeling, you know, whatever, misplaced in the world or a sense, a vague sense of general injustice or that things are not as wonderful as they might seem or as we're being taught in our school systems, right? But I felt like I didn't have any kind of grasp on what those things might be. Fugazi was incredibly helpful to me because whereas most punk, I think, just kind of articulates that formless rage in a really helpful way, Fugazi crystallized it for me in a lot of ways by saying, here, this is a problem. Um, You know, defense contractors are a problem. The uh, environment being under threat is a problem. You know, misogyny is a problem. Street harassment is a problem. Gun violence is a problem. They identified the targets and things, found places to, to direct 
that sort of ambiguous anger that I had as a confused teenager. <laughs> and they just provided an incredible amount of clarity. Now that makes it sound like their music is some kind of like activist utility or something like that. And of course it's so much more than that. But I was so grateful to kind of have the world presented to me by this band in a lot of ways. And they made clear so many of the injustices that, you know, to a, to a teenager who's first learning to get a sense of the world and what's out there, um, was incredibly, incredibly helpful. So this is another, for them, another anti-war song in a, in, a, in a long tradition of them from this band, but one that I think has such a fine point on it. And uh, it's incredible that it's kind of like the, the last song on the last album, you know, it's, it's basically uh, summing up decades of work to say that, you know, there's the, this idea of perpetual warfare is completely unacceptable. If I can... Uh... Let, let's look at one specific line. Um, it's probably, to me, the most mysterious line in the song or most open to interpretation. I don't know if you would agree, but the third line, how did a difference become a disease? Do you have any thoughts on that? What is the difference? What is the disease in this lyric? That's great. Now, see, this is another part of the Fugazi genius is that, you know, they have this reputation of being this sort of like didactic band that's cramming their message down your throat. But I think as lyricists, they were so incredibly artful in terms of leaving enough space for the listener to have some kind of purchase on the meaning of the song, if you will, um, by keeping things not as direct as maybe many people think they do. Um, so this is a beautiful lyric to me that I don't entirely understand the line that you're quoting. I mean, the difference yeah. can be between people. Uh, the difference can be the warfare itself. Uh, the difference could be the, the fear that groups have for one another. And obviously that fear could be perceived as toxic, hence the disease. I like Fugazi's lyrics so much because they do a great job of jutting these kind of like mysterious phrases up against less ambiguous ones, you know? Because if they were just getting up there and sloganeering the whole time, people would turn their minds off, but they present you with a little puzzle and a little mystery. And I think it's an invitation to invest yourself, you know, in, in, in the message that they're sharing with you, literally. I mean, a lot of people have this idea that Fugazi was preachy. It drives me nuts because to me, they were such an inviting band. The whole uh, sort of uh, mythology around them is like these scolds who got up on stage and said, no dancing, you know, hold still, you know, th that's not what was happening. They were trying to prevent, you know, crazy booted punks from yesteryear trying to like have some kind of weird hardcore reenactment 12 years later. You know what I mean? Like it's not like a, you know, like it's a civil war reenactment or something, you know what I mean? And people taking cleats and boots to their forehead for no reason. They were protecting their audience. When, when Fugazi was saying no moshing, they weren't trying to be the fun police. They were trying to make sure that everyone could be equal and free in the audience, you know? So again, this band who was so thoughtful about how to be welcoming to people and make sure that people were comfortable and could get loose and be in the moment with them as they, you know, did this explosive thing on stage. That's such a generous thing, you know? So whenever I encounter a Fugazi lyric that makes me scratch my head or feels like a little bit of a riddle, I just like luxuriate in the mystery because that's like one of the little gifts that they keep giving us over and over again. Uh, yeah. Me, me personally, as I was a very skinny young uh, teenager at those Fugazi shows. So when I heard uh, and anybody taking issue with any rough stuff happening, that was definitely on behalf of me and those like me <laughs> at the time. Uh, I I certainly appreciate, it. and I think that that message really 
radiated out and was was absorbed by the fans like one of my one of my early memories about going to a punk show was seeing fugazi and somebody i don't know dropped their glasses and everybody sort of in the raucous uh little pit there in front of the stage you know gave him room backed everybody up till he found whatever he had lost uh so i i very much appreciated that vibe um yeah that that line i mean the best the best i can figure is you know i take the the title of this song arguments i guess i see it as sort of ambiguous you know it's uh it's saying this you know this argument that the song is presenting against war but i guess it's also talking about conflicts uh you know between nations as an argument to put a third side on it too i mean you could also say when it when the it breaks into the chorus and it's here comes the argument i think it's basic i i read that as or have always heard that as here comes the argument for war here are the reasons we need to do this and the song is saying no matter what you tell me that argument is going to be unacceptable warfare is unacceptable you know as, as a human species we must aspire to something better so here comes the argument again and no matter what there's going to be a reason some kind of rational quote-unquote reason to do this atrocious thing um and that argument sort of being nil as well so um that's fantastic i've never read it that way yeah i don't know well who knows you know and also wait maybe all and we're all we're all right here and we're all wrong (laughs) and and it's interesting like i I mean that the penultimate line i guess i'm on a mission to never agree like that gives me chills every every time i listen to that lyric um because there's something really um really i mean refreshing is not even the right word but so so comforting to know that somebody is out there um as somebody who's just going to be against war trying to never agree that that the kind of war we wage is going to be okay that's not even to say that um that I'm 100% sure that that's correct in all cases. But I like knowing that people like that are out there. I think, I th- you know, I think it's important. You know, we definitely have plenty of people on the side saying we should wage war at any given opportunity um, and kick anyone's ass and, and liberate anyone's uh, any, any country that's not behaving the way we think we should behave. So if, if there's not the, uh, the antithesis to that out there whatever compromise is going to be reached is not going to be a compromise that is sane i think yeah i mean that's and that's such a that's a i agree it's a super super powerful lyric and one that is it's interesting that you use the word comfort too because there is something strange about songs like this that are sort of galvanizing and they're inspiring and they motivate you to action but they also sort of i don't know calm the nerves in a in a in a moment when anxiety is running high you know what i mean there's something really cool about a clarifying call to arms you know uh and and i don't want to use the word relaxing because that's not what it is but it's it's clarifying might be the word i'm looking for here this idea that um that this sort of i don't know a a call to action and, and and trying to motivate people to step up and and fight against this uh you know, atrocious power at, at play, the fact that that can be a clarifying feeling as well as arousing one at the same time, that's that's so awesome to me. You know, some years ago, I read, um, or I saw online an in- interview with the Dalai Lama. I wish I had thought of this before recording so I could have looked it up. But, you know, basically in this interview, the Dalai Lama conceded like, yes, there, there are times that, you know, to affect the greater good, um, you know, a country might have to make war, a country might have to invade preemptively to, you know, you know, preempt suffering, whatever. Um, and I just, 
I I read that interview and I thought of this song and I thought Jesus Christ even the Dalai Lama can't simply <laughs> be against war in any situation. Ian Mackay can, Fugazi can, and that's yeah, like I said, that's a comfort to me. That's I fascinating. Guess. That's fascinating. Um, and uh, I I did want to point out, um, etymologically speaking. The word mission comes from the Latin word to send. So etymologically speaking, you don't just go on a mission. You get sent on a mission. Now, I'm not saying, Chris, that uh, that Ian Mackay is some sort of a divinely sent uh, figure <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, to, to do good works on Earth. And I, I'm certainly not suggesting that he wrote the line with that in mind. But I am just saying it's sort of fun to read it that way. That That's all. <laughs> that's interesting. I like that. We brought up, um, you know, that it is the last song on Fugazi's last album. One thing I sort of like about it, if I if I can make a little bit of a right turn, um, how do you feel about, um, you know, at the end of the Beatles' Abbey Road, uh, Her Majesty? I found that there are a lot of people there who don't like Her Majesty after the end. A lot of people who do like it. Do you have a take on that? Uh, I I guess I've never really thought about the question until now. I guess I don't object really? to it. Yeah. You know, the end is sort of this grandiose, uh, sprawling, um, you know, song with a perfect resolution at the end. Uh, you know, the they're singing harmonies. Then Her Majesty is this sort of on the surface throwaway ditty. But personally, I always liked the way that it looks to the future. You know, and they, they sing Her Majesty, Someday I'm Gonna Make Her Mine. And that's but that's the last song, recorded song of their career. This this thing they're going to do in the future, and that's uh, strangely enough like something I like about this song too. It's you know here comes the argument. I'm on a mission to never agree. It's like it's looking into the future, and it's it's formulating plans and saying this this isn't ending with the band. This is continuing. Totally, the work continues. Absolutely, I was gonna say that's very fundamental message that you know this problem was here before they showed up, and it's gonna be here after they're gone, and. It's on all of us to kind of continue fighting against it for sure. In terms of futurity, that's a really awesome way, awesome way to hear the song. I absolutely am with it. Here's a question I have for you. I um I have a like a, not a pet theory, but an overriding theory that I'm trying to like integrate into all my listening, which is that a song's meaning does not reside exclusively in its lyrics. There is still messages being sent with tone and timbre and rhythm, and um. And it, it, not everything boils down to what's coming out of this, the vocalist's mouth in a, in a literal way. Now, of course, I haven't done enough homework here and <laughs> put enough thought bubbles into it. But do, what do you hear when you hear this song in terms of, of the mood and the texture of it? Do you feel that it supports the message of the lyrics and, 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 and how? I know that sounds like, a, like I'm asking you to write an essay or something right now. <laughs> but no, but what, what are your thoughts immediate, on this? The immediate thing that comes to mind for me is a certain vulnerability because... So I think, um, you know, Ian MacKay is a lot of the time on this album, he's doing a style of singing he hadn't really done before, which is which is to say actual singing. You know, uh, I think he was always better known as somebody who would uh, scream, shout, growl, etc. But, you know, here, this is this is a real um, I mean, it's a real exemplar of the kind of thing he's trying in the argument and the kind of thing he would do later in his uh, following band, the evens. Um, and you know, he's not, he's not what you'd call a quote unquote good singer. Like he, you know, he couldn't go on American idol and get anything, but you know, kicked off stage. But, um, 
you know, especially when he sings the lines or the words uh, disease and release, you know, those lines, he sustains the note and it's sort of, you know, it's weak and warbly, but in a sort of beautiful and vulnerable way um, that, that I really appreciate. Um, he's not hiding behind anything. He's, he's, you know, putting his, his real voice out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's sort of singing plaintively about this huge concern that he has. One idea that just pops into my head right now too, is that when you think of soft singing like that, a lot of times, and maybe it's just cause I'm a new, a relatively new parent, but I think about lullabies and I was recently yeah. trying to iron out this idea that I'll, maybe I'll put in a story at the post someday, but this idea of like lullabies being inherently futuristic, you were literally like trying to comfort someone to prepare them for the future. And that's something that just an idea that like all that just popped into my mind right now through this conversation. So I appreciate that. I wanted to ask you also I, now I'm, now I'm doing the interview. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what, what do you make of that bridge when things kind of get like aquatic and underwater and there's that beautiful little kind of thrumming, um, not quite a guitar solo, but you know what I'm talking about before, like the, before everything yeah. cuts out and the riff comes back in. What do you make of that part? The little segue there. It's a little scary sounding, isn't it? Yeah. Like that's, that's something that could be in almost the, the soundtrack of a, of a horror film or something. Um, maybe that's, uh, I, you know, I haven't followed Brendan Canty's career exactly very closely since, um, Fugazi, but I know he did a lot of s- soundtrack work and I guess experimented with some more maybe ambient stuff, uh, like that. Um, but it's, it's real beautiful. I, like, I don't know. I don't have a theory about that, but I do like it for sure. Yeah. I will direct our listeners to go listen to it and formulate their hypotheses. The last little musical part too that I think is really interesting and I, I'm trying to make sense of is I think it's, it's Guy's guitar line for like the final outro. So that kind of like solo that falls like a little bit out of tune and like a little bit behind the beat in this perfect way. And it kind of sounds like almost like, I don't know, regal trumpets like failing at their <laughs> at their attempt, you know? Like there's some kind of like malformed grandeur to it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't, I don't want to sing it over the podcast, but yeah. it's like, it's like, kind of, and it kind of yeah. just, it kind of falls just out of tune sometimes. And it falls just behind the beat in a certain way. Um, that I can't stop listening to it. Uh, I get really fixated on it when that part kicks in and I'm just like, what is the message in this guitar line? Like what is happening here? Um, and again too, then I start to get back to like my other, Hypothesis, not to be like I listen to all music and press theories up against it, but like this idea that we were talking about earlier of of, of the ambiguity of a lyric having meaning and having being an invitation. Like obviously, sound is ambiguous; it's a vibration of air and it's mysterious to us always. But um, whenever they took those sort of sonic left turns in terms of timbre, tone, whatever, pitch, I, I love those little sort of mysteries that pop in, especially in a moment of that song where everything is so triumphal and kind of like, you know, send it on home. I love that little guitar part because it just adds this kind of like question mark <laughs> over the whole proceedings. I'm, I'm almost, um, I almost regret having already named this podcast because I, th- I think malformed grandeur uh, as you put it, <laughs> is a great descriptor of a lot of Fugazi's uh, recorded output. Um, yeah, that's true. And also the... Um, after the little scary bridge, there's that, I guess it's Ian just hitting those uh, chords on his guitar and sort of bending the neck. Um, that that always like scared me a little watching them live because like those SGs that 
Ian plays, they're like such thin guitars, and he's just like bending it so far that you can hear the notes just go way in and out of pitch. I was like, he's going to break that thing someday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that all. <laughs> um, well, uh, there's there's definitely one thing that I wanted to bring up finally, um, a little little intertextuality that, um, because every time I listen to this song, especially the lines toward the ends, right? It's all about strikes now. So here's what's striking me, that some punk could argue some moral ABCs when people are catching what bombers release. So that idea, uh, you know, that sort of logic and, and your your rational arguments pale in the face of this destruction of human life, it always makes me think of this short poem, if you'll just indulge me, by Sharon Olds. Um, it's called The Issues. There's a note... Uh, Rhodesia, 1978. So I guess this is about the uh, the Bush War, which is a very complicated conflict that I don't pretend to really know about. Um, but yeah, Sharon Olds, The Issues, goes, Just don't tell me about the issues. I can see the pale spider-belly head of the newborn who lies on the lawn, the web of veins at the surface of her scalp, her skin gray and gleaming, the clean line of the bayonet down the center of her chest. I see her mother's face, beaten and beaten into the shape of a plant, a cactus with gray spines and broad, dark maroon blooms. I see her arms stretched out across her baby, wrist resting heavily, still, across the tiny ribs. Don't speak to me about politics. I've got eyes, man. Wow, that's awesome. Pretty good, right? I haven't, uh, I haven't, I haven't heard it before. That's incredible. I'm, I'm not, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of poetry, but that one has stayed with me, and every time I listen to the song Arguments, that pops into my head. Uh, that's really cool. That's, you know, that's really cool. Uh, the uh, lyrics that yeah. you mentioned from the song earlier too, not to say, here's how I hear it, because we hear it, I mean, obviously, I, the whole point of this conversation, I guess, is to triangulate meaning out of hearing different things. But I always heard the some punk arguing moral ABCs, uh, why people are catching what Bombers release, was about the idea of the sort of internecine politics of the punk world and how Fugazi, by leading by example and doing so many bold things uh, this isn't what i think the lyric is about but i know as a fact that by, by doing that they made themselves like targets for criticism and if, if the show went up from five dollars to six dollars people start to freak out <laughs> you know what i mean rather than right. go, rather than going out and demanding you know improvements across the board in the scene and in the nightlife or whatever um let's just hold this one band to an impossible standard and, and just badger them for it um so i think i always heard it in my mind is like how the sort of activist world or the punk world can maybe sometimes get lost in its own internal arguments when in fact, you know, catastrophic death is happening, you know, on our dime and on our time in, in other countries, you know, um, and maybe sort of asking people to quote unquote, see the bigger picture, if you will. And that's something I think about with Fugazi all the time now. And I'm really eager to listen to more episodes of your podcast and hear how this pans out. Because I think, by and large, like the more I hear people talk about them, most of, mostly on social media, I guess I should say, it seems like their legacy is like really misunderstood by people. We talked earlier about how they have this reputation as these sort of like hall monitors who are yelling at their audience all the time and telling them not to dance. Obviously, that's totally wrong. Um, and I think there was this idea that they were incredibly... like just mercilessly didactic about their politics and like cramming it down people's throats all the time. I countered that that's not true and their lyrics afforded space for the imagination, which you will. Um, and I wonder, but I just think like, 
<laughs> the, the cool part about that line to me being in this sort of farewell song is that it is like about like don't argue about what I don't know whether or not Fugazi like believed in electricity or not you know what I mean like <laughs> like their legacy should be thinking about the bigger picture you know there was something some New York Times story I think it was about Beto O'Rourke and it really sort of like was dismissive about like oh he liked Fugazi and like the political things that they liked and it's like oh really like Fugazi was concerned with the issues that cripple this country to this day you know what I mean they were fighting fights that still need to be fought in 2019 with all of our energy so this idea that they were some kind of like i don't know band for college activists to get into and feel self-important is, is preposterous to me so i feel like the, the band is really largely misunderstood by a lot of people and they were trying to alert us to more cataclysmic things that were happening around the entire planet and that lyric to me is a really beautiful thing to put in this sort of swan song from them to say, remember, like, instead of just having this tiny discussion, you know, amongst our community, let's remember that this whole species is dependent on us sticking up for each other. I think I'm probably going to let you have more or less the last word on that because uh, very well put. One last thing that we like to do on the show, ratings. Uh, if I could prevail upon you, uh, and I know you're you're not the type of critic who usually uh, gives uh, numerical ratings to things, but uh, I thought I'd ask you, if you'd like to, rate this song, Argument, uh, purely in the context of, of Fugazi's catalog from basically one to five stars, one being your least favorite Fugazi song, five being your most. Would you like to put this on the scale? Oh, man. I... <sighs> It'd be so hard for me to because Fugazi gets five stars all the time from me <laughs> for every for, for every song. I feel like so much of what they did, and I don't mean to be difficult or or to to negate, no, no, to negate your system, but I really feel like so much of what they did is part of a continuity, and that's again why I'm so interested to listen to your podcast as it goes on too. Because songs they they blend into each other. Obviously, on stage they were very adept at literally blending songs into one another and kind of like trying to read each other's minds and do this mental telepathy thing because as famously we all know they didn't have a set list whenever they went on stage and it was just sort of this like anything goes scenario where they're trying to read cues from each other and sort of enter this sort of group mind if you will so their songs to me like like ranking their albums and i know i said earlier people will say which one's the best one which one did i start with you know um I just think like it's so good to hear their music as, as a whole. And the thing that is interesting about this song is it comes later in time. If you listen to these albums in their sequence, it comes at the end. So there are like certain parameters that give it sort of its air of, of finality and closure and farewell, if you will. Um, but at the same time, I think it's so much more powerful to kind of listen to it in this blended context. It's not like they closed every show that they played after they wrote this song with, with Argument. You know, it, it appeared in the, right. all those set lists, but it appeared all over the place. Um, I want to say that they opened with it once or twice. Um, fact check me on that, uh, people out there. But, uh, <laughs> but I think to, to, the, the, best thing to, the best way to listen to this music really, really is as a whole. And of course, taking it apart and, and examining the pieces like we're doing in this conversation is, is awesome. But I think the more you think about anything we talked about today and hopefully anything that you're going to continue to talk about as this podcast goes on, it's just going to enrich your knowledge of all the other music that they made. And really, honestly, all music in general. For me, this band was so formative and hearing the adventurousness that they had and the energy that they had, the sort of questing spirit to, to go into unknown places as musicians while still holding on to all this really 
deep political conviction and the way that they felt about the world we live in is so uh, inspiring to me still to this day. And it really just set me on the course to be an avid listener and to listen broadly, you know, and to listen to humanity as a whole and to really give things a shot and be open and be wide open as you can. I mean, think about how stringent punk was, you know, when this band started. There were very, I think, a, a really widely perceived set of rules that had to be obeyed. And this band threw a lot of those things right out the window and we're all so much better for it. So that's a big dodge to your ratings question. <laughs> <laughs> but I really think that the entire endeavor is a five-star thing and letting yourself travel from one song to the next and taking what you learn with you into the next piece of music that you hear is such an invaluable experience and and uh i recommend it to all you know that's that's really well said i do have a feeling that over the course of this podcast more often than not it's going to be tough to get people to rate these songs i'm gonna i'm gonna forge ahead for the time being to just to see if if it continues to bear fruit um for my part um i mean i agree with everything you said if i had to do it you know i was wavering between myself four and a half and five stars I think for this one, I have to go with five. I'm not. I'm not gonna go ahead and just give everything five. I'm gonna do my best to be as critical as I can. But I mean, this this song with not many lyrics um, just makes me think about uh, so many things. It might not be sonically the platonic ideal I have of a Fugazi song, but uh, there's just this richness that I I can't help myself. It forces me to think about <laughs> things and and. Uh, and really concentrate on on where the lyrics are going every time I hear it. So five stars for me for this one, uh, and uh, we'll see if uh, if this whole ratings thing collapses a little bit. <laughs> so, um, Chris, uh, again, thanks a ton. Let's do a little bit of plugs. Where can listeners reach you? Do you have anything coming up you want to plug? I understand you have a new band with some new music out. Uh, anything. I'm very busy, so I guess I have a lot of things to say here. Um, my criticism appears regularly on WashingtonPost.com. I put all of it on the social media site Twitter, which my handle is Chris, C-H-R-I-S, then two underscores, because my name is common, Richards, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S. So all my work goes up there. I have a new band that I'm playing in right now called TK Echo. It's with Aaron Lyko, uh from Protect You. It's with Fiona Griffin from Meltdown Ed Ed It. It's with Josh Blair, who has played in Super System and Orthrealm and other groups. Uh, we have a three-song EP out now, and we're hoping to record more songs before the end of this year, fingers crossed. Um, and I also, last thing I'll say is I do um, like a uh, DIY fanzine called WC Ringtone. I also post about it on Twitter, but it is a uh, three-dimensional object only. It's not online anywhere. Um, you can order copies through like Venmo or PayPal, and I mail them to your house. Each issue is a dozen micro-interviews and nano-essays about music, arts, culture, things I saw on the street, stories about uh, strange incidents and what have you. Um, and it comes out quarterly. And those are the three main things that I'm working on in the, in the public world. And thank you so much for asking. Awesome. Sweet. If, if I could plug one thing on your behalf, um, if people want to go back a little in the past, you did this solo project uh, under the name Riss Paul Rick, R-I-S, Paul, R-I-C. Yeah. And uh, once once or twice I was in a band and I opened for you uh, while you were doing that. And I got to say, still, uh, like, I'll be just 
cooking in the kitchen and the uh, the title track to purple blaze just comes on in my head it's one of those things that you chant and it, it just gets into you uh so that that stayed with me thank you so much for that that's awesome yeah. i'm so glad to hear that the music is still with you this is something that is astounding to me and i'm so grateful for that the fact that we made music that resonated with anybody in the first place and then still has any place in their mind all these years later is, is so so uh meaningful to me so thank you for saying that i really appreciate that you're most welcome. Well, uh, listeners, as for me, you can reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com, and you can join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi. Um, you know, chime in uh, about this song. I'm sure there's plenty to say that hasn't even been said over the course of this recording. So um, go ahead and do that, and then I hope you'll join me for the next episode. We'll be discussing Arpeggiator. Until then, keep your eyes open. This is my last 